1: Welcome to the podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we're here to
0: talk about a book that you've been meaning to read. That's how it goes. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, Yeah, every week one of us reads a book that we've never read before, and we tell the other person about it. We've been doing it for these many years, and we will continue doing it. Until morale improves, I suppose. Uh, this week I read Gaudy Night by Dorothy L. Sayers. It is yeah. one of many hundreds and thousands of Sir Lord Peter Whimsy detective novels that she and then later uh, others wrote starting in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's a, he's a detective gentleman.
1: Yes, we shall get into that. Um, I do want to lead. make sure we note this was a Patreon recommendation from a listener, Laura. Thank you, Laura. Uh, Laura said, for my Patreon recommendation, you can find out more at patreon.com slash Um, For my Patreon recommendation, I'd like to suggest Gaudy Night by Dorothy L. Sayers. Uh, It's a book I discovered accidentally when I was 12, immediately became (laughs) obsessed with, read over and over again for years, kind of forgot about, and recently rediscovered in my late 40s. (laughs) It's what I would describe as an enthusiastic jumble of genres and themes, some of which feel pretty zeitgeisty, even though it was written in the 1930s. I really enjoy the show. Thanks. Thank you, Laura.
0: Yeah, thanks, Laura. And the the mishmash of genre thing is... Is uh, that's right. I think it's got <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on in here. I read a um, a I would New- love
1: for you, I would love for us to have a Patreon note and you just and you, your response is like, well, they got it wrong, like, thanks for recommending it, but they got it wrong. I don't know why they said it. <laughs> I just of that tell <laughs>
0: you if your summary, if I think your summary was right or not.
1: Uh-huh. Sorry, what else did you this read one, in addition this to this one? Book? I
0: think was right. Uh, this is a New Yorker piece by mm-hmm. Nora Kaplan Bricker. I read that too, it's a good one. Yeah, um, about specifically Gaudy Night and how it's a forerunner of uh, like ton of French novels, which we've read several of, and uh, Gillian Flynn novels. Yeah. Gillian? 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 I think it's Gillian Flynn. Gillian Flynn. Got it right the first time. Uh, the Gone Girl? Girl? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. And, yeah, just because it centers a woman in a genre that is pretty male-dominated. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know that I would say that Sir Lord Peter Whimsey – it's Lord Peter Whimsey. I keep calling him Sir. I don't know if he got knighted or not. Maybe he did. Yeah. Uh, But he's fictional, so I guess it doesn't really matter. But uh, I don't know that I would necessarily call him a Sherlock Holmes, but there are definitely bits of this that are distinctly Holmesian, including – The part where they talk, they, the character, at least one character, like Lord Peter Whimsy gets to the conclusion of the book, like a full third of the book before the rest of us. Yeah, that's good. I think I know who did it. That's the good uh, stuff. I'm going to keep waiting for some more proof. Don't you know who did it? I think if you <laughs> looked over your notes again, Gumshoe, you'd discover the truth of what had happened here. And then finally, in the penultimate chapter, in one wide-ranging uh, soliloquy that <laughs> that ends with a tearful confession from the person who did it. Love all it. All is revealed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's the really article good, like wrapping up an episode of Bones because. <laughs> Well, most of the, I don't know, like somebody had
1: to build the bones of bones, Andrew, and mm-hmm. it was someone like Dorothy Sayers, I suppose.
0: I just feel I'd like to to have a one hundred percent clear rate because everyone you capture does confess to doing oh. the crime that they did. That must be nice. I would
1: love to watch that season of The Wire, mm-hmm. with the clear rates being what they are on that mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the article you mentioned an overlooked novel from 1935 by the godmother of feminist detective fiction. It also cites and is is kind of about a group biography of Sayers and a lot of her school friends and colleagues called the Mutual Admiration Society. How Dorothy L. Sayers and her Oxford circle remade the world for women by Mo Moulton. I'm going to reference another article by Moulton at some point. I think it's it's a good that article that is a good one. For putting this book in context and putting some of Sayer's personal life in context relation to the book, um, yeah, do you want
0: to do you want to yeah. talk about Sayer's yeah. personal life, and then I have a quote from that piece we can read, and then we talk about the book a little bit.
1: Sure. Um, born eighteen ninety three, passed away in nineteen fifty seven. Uh, born and died in Ida, England. Uh, Her father was a chaplain and a choir school headmaster in Oxford, started teaching her Latin when she was very young, which may have led to her getting a languages scholarship to Somerville, which was a constituent college uh, for women at Oxford University. Um, And there she formed this mutual admiration society, which was like a clique of poets and playwrights and writers kind of pouring over their drafts. And she kind of wasn't sure what she was going to do with her life because there weren't opportunities to go, like, right into academia and teaching. She also has this real quote about teaching that's a bit of a doozy. It's immoral to take up a job solely for the amount of time one can spend away from it, which is what most of us do with teaching, she wrote Ooh. in
0: 1917. Ooh suck it teacher i don't know <laughs> like so, <laughs> i is that a reference to like summer and and all the like the the breaks that you get cuz yeah. a lot of the teachers that i'd had like <laughs> painted not. houses during the summers yes. like they weren't exactly flush but so, you know things have changed a lot that was 19 1917 years. um apparently
1: oxford was not conferring decrees, decrees degrees on women uh like, until 1920, I think. So she actually didn't get hers until, like, after she had already, uh, you know, completed her studies. Um, so maybe it was, like, about, like, not being able to go into academia where you
0: could pursue your writerly pursuits in your off-season. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is just me talking out of my butt, yeah, but that's, please. like, how the podcast always is. It might be the case that because uh, women like higher ed like professors people teaching in higher education uh women doing this were mostly doing it i th- probably at like these women's colleges
1: yeah or i mean weren't even able to get a degree to get that
0: job too yeah right yeah. but like I, it my point being and i am my brain is absolutely trashed <laughs> from lack of of sleep and excess of reading but i feel like there just wouldn't be that many of these jobs to take. oh yeah yeah, is what for I'm sure. saying. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There you go, got there. So
1: she ended up. Uh, she got some poetry published in the late 19 teens. She spent a good portion of the 1920s working in advertising. Um, Real she Don wr- Draper. A bit of a, a bit of a Don Draper. Hmm. Actually, she wrote a jingle for Guinness. Apparently, um, Guinness,
0: it's the thick beer. Yep, that's my jingle. That's my. Guinness and then she was it's the, the bread that you drink guinness
1: looking for other work uh something that might be more fulfilling apparently maybe she was like reading a
0: the... like a refreshing glass of guinness mm-hmm. uh
1: she was reading a newspaper or something I I read one version where it's like she had the mumps and needed something to do, so she read detective fiction and decided to write detective fiction. (laughs) I also read a version that was like she was reading the newspaper and a lot of articles were about detective fiction and the aristocracy, so she put the
0: two of them together. Those are not Hmm. mutually exclusive (laughs) stories, No, they're not. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing where maybe you just, every time somebody asks you how you got started writing detective fiction, you... Give them a different. How do you answer. think I
1: got these scars? Yeah,
0: and like, <laughs> and then let them do the detective work of figuring out whether you're oh, telling the truth. Oh, I not. see.
1: Yes. Um, so in 1923, she published "Whose Body," um, which is the creation of Lord Peter Wimsey. He would star in eleven novels, two sets of short stories. As you said, Andrew, he is a British gentleman detective, kind of like if Bruce Wayne never had to become Batman. It seems like he's just a rich playboy who doesn't have any responsibilities, but does have an innate sense of justice and just gets out there and amuses himself by solving crimes. So you think without the tragedy, if
0: Batman's parents had survived, he still would have been interested in justice, but not (laughs) in like vigilantism.
1: (laughs) No, I'm just saying that he is the he's a rich guy with too much time on his hands and some money to spend, and he can use it on the pursuits of crime fighting without having to have an alter ego, is what I'm okay. saying. I'm not. I'm mm. not trying to rewrite Batman to be Lord
0: Whimsy. Sorry, my bad.
1: Didn't mean to distract
0: you. <laughs> I like. I mean, I do kind of like it though. He's not Batman, but he's Bruce Wayne. and He's got a corn pipe and he solves crimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I dig it.
1: I don't know if it's in this book at all. If it's referenced at all in this book, Andrew apparently, um, Whimsy's whole uh, like. Demeanor and aloofness or whatever character he is, um, is in some ways not quite a front, but he ha- he did suffer like a near-death experience of World War I. Um, his life was saved by his valet, Mervyn Bunter, uh, and... He also like had a tragic relationship go wrong, so th- those are parts of his backstory that like have motivated him to be as the second son of a duke who doesn't have any property property to maintain. He could just get out there and do what he wants.
0: Yeah, there's some references to all that stuff throughout the book, um, and and he does when he's talking to uh, Harriet Vane, who is yep. the uh, protagonist of this book. I mean, Peter Whimsy's in it. He's not really like. No, he's not the main character. Until the last, like the the back half of it, he kind of shows up and starts doing his thing. But for the first half of it, it's all harried all the time. Um, And of course, I've forgotten the point that I was making. Oh, no, he uh, he talks specifically about like the mental defenses that he's put up and the work he's done to Mm. like bring those down, especially around her because he's trying to show her that he likes her a lot. Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, Sayers has said of of creating Lord Peter, Lord
0: Peter's large
1: income, I deliberately gave him. I deliberately gave him. After all, it cost me nothing, and at the time, I was particularly hard up, and it gave me pleasure to spend his fortune for him. So apparently writing a rich guy at the time was very fun for her, because she could just write about rich people stuff that she didn't have, (laughs) which is something you could
0: do. It's like... This is this is neat. It's like when people have money, they have less stuff to worry about, huh? It's weird. Hmm. I've never thought about it like that. Yeah. Maybe just give people money. I mean, at least give your fictional characters money. Yeah. I
1: guess. <laughs> uh Harriet Vane appeared uh, for the first time in the Lord Whimsy book, Strong Poison. Um, apparently, one thing that Sayers wanted to do was introduce Vane so that Whimsy uh, would marry and she could be done with him. That didn't go as planned. Um, it's she's a. we should probably talk about it in the context of the story but she's a bit of a Sayers stand-in character though it's a little more complicated I think than those tend to be mm-hmm. um, and some of her relationship from the book Strong Poison veins that is is based on Sayers' relationship with a poet uh, John Cornos which is a very tough breakup for her a few years earlier um, she also has another character that she wrote some short stories about named Montague Egg Who's a wine salesman who solves <laughs> mysteries? What? Yeah, I dig it. Um what else? So she stopped writing. Wait, detective wait, wait. wait. Stories. Is he wait. A, is
0: he a hard boiled detective? Uh, maybe he is. Maybe that's the joke. He always looks on the sunny side at the end of a book. Mm-hmm. He's gonna crack this case. Yeah.
1: i have, I've read one of those stories and my brain was scrambled. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I found the prose a little runny, though. Anyway, after we World War II... We
0: didn't read Eggs by Jerry Spinelli that long ago, and I feel like this is, we probably did all these... Well, we did Eggs by Jerry Spinelli. Uh,
1: af- at the onset of World War II, she stopped writing detective fiction, uh, basically said that the fascists in charge of Europe were doing enough dastardly stuff uh, for anyone to write about. And she really leaned into philosophical writing. She was a good friend of C.S. Lewis and wrote... Uh, a lot of work that was dealing in Christian themes. She also did a big translation of the Divine Comedy, Andrew, in 1949, Hmm. 55, and 62. Uh, A lot is made of her trying... She, like, does use the Italian rhyme scheme, um, and at the time, like, no other... Like, a lot of other British or English authors were not doing that. Um, And this book, which we'll talk about some more, gets a lot of, like feminist detective novel cred she bristled at that term she kind of declared herself a humanist and kind of rejected the notion of like looking at it looking at that particular conflict or you know gender conflict or oppression through a binary lens mm, i don't know what that's just out there for people to consider yeah, She she's allowed to
0: define her own relationship yeah. to her work however yep. she wants and we um, just leave it at that <laughs>
1: And we talked about this a little bit in the uh, farthing episode by Joe Walton. That book was written in response to, uh, among other things, some of the anti-Semitism baked into Sayers' work. Um, stuff like whose body has a lot of like really rough stuff that characters say and also just fascination with Jewish characters that if you're reading it today, and probably if you're reading it then you're like, this stinks. There's yeah,
0: I don't none of that there, there wasn't anything in this book on that end of the the thing that jumped out at me. There was one moment, one very like it's 1935 moment. Yeah. where some uh sort of lower class uh it's like groundskeeper sort of college employee guys are talking about what the kids today need to whip them in the shape and one of them says what this country needs is a Hitler. <laughs> oh no yeah the the that didn't work out very good for anybody her
1: biographers her fans her scholars kind of come down 50 50 on it like is she a product of her time is she reflecting society back on itself couldn't she really escape the former to do the latter um, when they did a French translation of Whose Body, the publisher was like, hey, we have some notes. Can you, like, turn down the anti-Semitism a bit? And she said, certainly they may soften the thrusts against the Jews if they like, and if there and if there are any. My own opinion is that the only people who were presented in a favorable light were the Jews um, in her own work. So, you know, thinking that she's, I guess, like, you know, lampooning the anti-Semitic Aristocracy. She did get invited to contribute to a symposium in 1945 on Jews in England. Um, she happened to write an essay about Christ's appearance being, quote, the turning point of human history and that, quote, the Jewish nation uh, missed it and got stranded, among other things that she said. Uh, it was so upsetting to folks that several other Jewish contributors. Did not they threatened to pull their work out if her essay was not withdrawn? So I think that has really cast a light and a a framing on the stuff that's in her work that you could maybe kind of see some
0: nuance to. Yeah, and it kind of maybe maybe suggests that no, Mike, it's the it's the bad characters who are anti-Semitic in my in my works. It's not me. It's just it's these characters who you shouldn't like who are expressing these views and so you should know that I don't agree with them where well, that is that is a uh she was invited to submit to that symposium so somebody was was of the opinion that that is what she was doing I mean and then and she shows up with that a, yeah, yeah I just know that that is often a crutch in yes. fiction uh-huh. where you just want to make a bunch of like racist or homophobic jokes and so you give them all. To like an old, out of touch man character to say yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, that's about it. This book was published 1935, as you mentioned, Andrew. The title comes from Latin English university nonsense uh, <laughs> <See>? <laughs> of having a gaudy, which is like a college feast to celebrate I, people. I
0: really enjoy the cover of the first edition that I've got, where uh-huh. it does proclaim at the top that it's just out like it just came out (laughs) and it says dorothy l sayers like a possessive sayers is gaudy night a novel not without detection in which lord peter plays the leading part i love it okay detective novel is is broke what's woke is a novel not without detection (laughs)
1: Uh, I am interested to learn about how this was maybe based on her time at Somerville College, or at least informed by it, Andrew. But we should take a, br- a break, and then you tell me about the story. Yeah. Andrew. Craig, May I. Yes. Tell you. About one of this week's sponsors?
0: Yes, I already said yes. Okay,
1: well, okay. I need some help getting through this ad. Overdue is also brought to you this week by our sponsor, BetterHelp, which makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, convenient, so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with them in a safe, private online environment under 48 hours, and you can send a message to your counselor at any time. The service is available for clients worldwide, and licensed professional counselors have a broad range of expertise. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp.com/slash help, better overdue. Andrew, you thought the ad break was over, but I got another one for you.
0: Oh, do you really? Yeah. Do you like movies? Uh, yeah, those are like the books that are on screen. And you won't see and hear them instead of reading them.
1: Yes, I think they're allowed to use words sometimes, but there's a mm. lot of pictures and they move. That's why they call them movies. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, let me tell you about uh, Finding You. Spring is here, Andrew. It's finally getting warmer, folks. are making plans to get back out in the world. Make plans to safely go to a theater and catch the film. Finding You, now in theaters. I want to make sure people paid attention, so I changed my voice. It's, it's in theaters now. <laughs> Finding You is an inspirational romantic drama full of heart and humor about finding the strength to be your true self. After an ill-fated audition at a prestigious New York Music Conservatory, Finley Sinclair travels to an Irish coastal village to begin her semester studying abroad at the B&B run by her host family. She encounters a gregarious and persistent heartthrob movie star uh, who is there to film another installment of his medieval fantasy adventure franchise. As romance sparks between the unlikely pair, Beckett ignites a journey of discovery for Finley that transforms the heart, her music, and her outlook on life. Overdue listeners may be interested to know that it's based on a book. Uh, A book called There You'll Find Me by Romance Mystery and YA author Jenny B. Jones. Uh, Make plans now to bring a friend, a family member, even a significant other to see Finding You now playing only in theaters. For more information or to find tickets to a theater near you, visit FindingYouTheMovie.com. Andrew, I hear this one takes place at a college. It does take place at a college. We went to
0: college. Was the book similar? (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of similar to the books that the writer-in-residence at our college wrote about a thinly-veiled version of that college. Okay, if that sure. Any sense.
1: It should. makes The college <laughs> we went to was also founded by people who were very familiar with British colleges in the early 19th century. So, like, there's overlap.
0: Yeah, well, then, so there are elements of, I think Sayers probably reliving some of her own college experience. There are definitely... You know, I haven't been to the to the uh, Somerville College campus in the nineteen teens or twenties or whenever she was there, but I am sure that the Shrewsbury College campus bears a striking resemblance.
1: And that's the name of it in the
0: book, Shrewsbury. 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 Okay. Still in still in Oxford College, but it's Shrewsbury instead of Somerville. Okay, sure. So what? Um, How
1: does this book? Again, we noted that this is like a pretty far ways into the Whimsy series. It is mm-hmm. the fourth appearance, third of, appearance of Harriet third Vane.
0: appearance, excuse me, of Harriet Vane. So here's what you need to know about Harriet Vane going in: is she was accused of murder, and Lord Peter Whimsy helped clear her name. But of course, when you are accused of murder, there are still going to be a lot of people who maybe think that you did the murder or just think that you are not a great person by association. (laughs) Sure. So she is uh, in her early thirties at this point. So as we're, we're talking like, you know, not quite 10 year reunion territory, but getting close. Okay. And she has had this, you know, this, this rough turn of it where she was accused of murder and she kind of hasn't wanted to go back to her old college Stomping grounds. Just thinking about going to a
1: high school reunion. Hey, what do you do? Oh, I I run an auto shop. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I work for a state senator. What do you do? Well, I got accused of murder and a detective fell in love with me. Now I write detective novels? <laughs> Weird.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so she is, you know, because it is uh, upper class England, there's mm. all of this, like... Worry about how you're being perceived happening literally all the time yep. in a way that takes some um, getting used to as a as a modern reader. <laughs> I don't have a ton of patience for it, and it is a lot of what the book is about. Okay, <laughs> um, but uh so she is she is she's been nervous about going back, but she goes back and she sees some friends who she l- had lost touch with but likes, and some friends who she had liked but. Doesn't really care for anymore, and some people she didn't like, who she still doesn't like. So it sounds very <laughs> much like a college reunion. It does in that way, in that sense. <laughs> okay, um, but yes, she goes and she has a pretty good time. Except she does get like a threatening note in her robe, and she does. There is like an offensive drawing. Oh, just like a, a nasty drawing that that is also given to her and she's like whoa this is this sucks okay i'm gonna go to bed and so she goes and so she is a writer of detective fiction in universe and another thing and this reminded me some of some of the stephen king books that we've read where his protagonists are also authors and they do a lot of complaining about stuff that may or may not have affected yes. Stephen King uh-huh. at some point I it. I but she does it. she does just talk about how it's kind of annoying to be asked about the book that you're working on all the time and to have your work commented upon and she talks about how the one thing there's it's this conversation about um you know being able to tell like pleasant white lies about a lot of stuff but we all have like one thing where we can't you can't lie about it. You have you to can't speak li- the and truth. And then hers hers is if somebody writes a book and it sucks, I can't tell them how great their book was. <laughs> like I, it's not something I can do. Okay, but that was relatable to me.
1: There's like a like a core integrity
0: that yeah. I mean yeah, yeah, that's basically the thing. It's like if if you don't have something like that at, somewhere in you, then you are just a nobody, nothing, yes man person, mm. and. Mm-hmm you know, there, there's nothing to you. And so you are of, you are of no consequence. Okay. Okay. Um, but she does this, she has a decent time. Nobody really, you know, it comes up that she knows Lord Peter Whimsy, who is a man of some renown and it, you know, that she was accused of murder, but she got cleared and the real culprit was caught. So everything's mostly cool. And she's like, yeah, okay, that was pretty good. Maybe I'll go back sometime. Uh, Couple months later, I think she gets a um, a call from the dean of the college, or I don't I don't remember if it's a call or if it's a letter. There, are, there are phone calls in this, but <laughs> telephones were still new enough that every time the word "phone" appears in the text, it does have an apostrophe in front yes. of it to denote yes. that. That oh, you're shortening it from telephone. Yes, I love
1: that. <laughs> also, at this point, call probably, if someone uses the verb call, it could still be using the centuries old. Like, like
0: to come a call Yeah,
1: Yeah, I've You could call someone in the 19th century by having a servant send them a business card. It's like, well, that's mm. not a call, but mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. All right, all right, all right.
0: And apparently uh somebody has been leaving nasty notes for a lot of people actually. Huh. And just, just mean notes. Just mean some real mean girl stuff and <laughs> the because they are all obsessed with propriety and not wanting the stories to leak out or you know to be to lose face in the in the uh eyes of their peers, they don't want news of this to get out. So what if Harriet, with her firsthand experience of being accused of a crime and her also firsthand experience of writing books where people do crimes and are accused of crimes and solve crimes, uh, what if she came and tried to figure out what was going on with this? Oh, so like they're bringing in Castle. Sort like of if- a Castle situation, yeah. Okay, I didn't know okay. whether Castle was based on... Goddy Knight by Dorothy L. Sayers, but it might as well be. <laughs>
1: it might... The castle might be based on books. I don't know,
0: man. It, I think it is based on books, but I don't... Nathan Fillion do, just the I, same character every time. Well, and, and I do know that that show ended up... It did get to a Eating It's Own Tale book where yes. Nathan Fillion's character yes. put out real books, and I don't know how they are, but I bet they're not, they're fine. Oh man. <laughs> you know? Patreon.com slash um, Overdue
1: pod. Um, it's
0: not it's not quite one of those shows because in those shows it's usually like a, a an unconventional crime solver and a real cop get together and solve the crimes. But in this it's just Harriet Vane coming in coming yeah. in to you know, she's she's gonna do her own detective thing, much like Lord Peter Winnie. Well no one there's not done. like
1: a murder, right? Nobody's died. Okay. Okay,
0: because I know in the... Just a lot of threatening and destruction of property. Like somebody, the drafts of somebody's book got defaced and and destroyed. And so, yeah, like it is bad for academia, but no human people have been hurt or killed yet. Okay, because I think in some of
1: the other whimsy books, there's a lot of intricate murder, very elaborate murder schemes George Orwell was apparently not a fan of Sayer's work. Mostly probably just cuz he liked the old the books that he read first. Like when you really boil his criticism down it's probably just not liking the next generation of mystery writers.
0: Wait, when you say he didn't like her work is it just cuz what cuz it's like too clever or
1: um what? let's see uh, her slickness in writing has blinded many readers to the fact that her stories considered as detective stories are very bad ones. They lack the minimum of probability that even a detective story ought to have. And the crime is always committed in a way that is incredibly tortuous. Torture. Torturous. Tor- torturous. And quite. The way you said that was
0: incredibly torturous.
1: Well, there, the the place I copied it from did not have a R in it. So I don't mm. know. Maybe Orwell had a typo. But. um so yeah, some of the other whimsy mysteries apparently are a little more gruesome or a little more inventive up front. This, to, this does not have a body at the beginning of the book.
0: So. No. No, no, okay, no. no. Okay. Um, so she goes about establishing some, some things like, for example, all of you who run this college, you called me in to do this, are not above suspicion. In fact, it's probably not a student because... I got these first notes when I was here for a reunion and the only students here were like a handful of, of upperclassmen who were like doing finals and stuff. So it, it, you can't do a crime during finals. You're
1: too busy.
0: (laughs) Well, it's just, there weren't that many people there. Yeah. But student wise. So it kind of narrows it down to, you know, uh, faculty, staff, administration, those are the sure. people most likely to do it. Okay. And there are seven or eight, I want to say, like different administrator women who you encounter who each have their own thing going on. Um, but uh, but yeah, so, so they are, she starts looking into stuff and there are a lot of close calls where she doesn't quite Catch the person who does a thing before they do the thing. What when
1: you say do the thing? Like, are, is it still more notes? Is it it's like graffiti like it's
0: notes? There's like an effigy in one. Oh. It's like it's like a you know a robe with a knife stuck in it. Okay. Um, at one point, there's just like a bonfire of of robes in a common area. There is one incident where somebody just go runs around to all the buildings and and takes the fuses out of the fuse box and knocks all the lights out like a oh. building at a time. <laughs> okay.
1: So at this point there's not even a like uh there's not a series of Riddler messages. There's not a like if you don't do X, I will keep doing it.
0: No, there it's not a this person has no clear set of demands and initially does not appear to be targeting any person in particular. Okay. Uh, Like a lot of different students and faculty have gotten notes. And a lot of this early part of the book is just sort of one by one, um, eliminating from suspicion some of the most likely again, much like a crime procedural, where you meet a few suspects early on, but the ones you meet first are never a person who ends up doing of it. Of course it's not. Like, it's always like the fourth person that you meet <laughs> <laughs> who has yeah. who has just enough biographical information, like say she is a uh, down on her luck mom who's bringing up two kids mm-hmm. on by herself because her husband died. Like that's the kind of Detail that you might get in this specific book when you meet the the person who's doing <laughs> all this stuff for the first time. Okay, sure. Um, and so she is she is investigating and not really getting much of anywhere. Like she's she's being stymied a bit by their desire for secrecy because she is just one person. Yeah, and she gets that they don't want to call attention to the fact that there is an investigation going on, lest they scare the person into uh into like escalating or hiding yeah you gotta Um, let him do just enough creepy things
1: so that you could maybe catch him but you can't let them escalate to actual murder
0: and so that's and so that's what uh that's what turns this into a lord peter whimsy (laughs) okay is um the the Poison pen is how they're referred to before you know who they are. Mm. Uh, this poison pen person is is sending a bunch of notes to this one particular student who is good in school but has been struggling. And it's just a bunch of like cyberbullying, but like via notes. So, like in person, like regular a- bullying, I guess.
1: Analog. Yeah, just bullying, I guess. Analog
0: <laughs> cyberbullying. <laughs> To get her to, like, jump off a bridge into a, a river. Oh, no. Um, and so this, like, this girl ends up being fine, but it's a very close call. And this is what, this is what, like, renews Harriet's uh, call for bringing in more people. So they, she tries to call. And it actually would have been rad if this has been how the book had worked out. But it's like this, this typist's business or something but the people who work there also are detectives <laughs> okay so that's like the discreet option because they don't want to call the police like that she mm. thinks like the problems here are that the police are not technically answerable to the people who run the college but like private detectives are exclusively uh it, you know they, they will take their Uh, take their notes from the people who hired them
1: oh sure
0: yeah like if the if it looks like things are getting uncomfortable or or they want to uh color the facts in some way that that they could easily compromise a private investigator interesting that's an interesting nuance sure okay okay uh, so this is where she she you know she's out of options and she wants somebody who she knows she can trust who will t- whose like brain is on the same level as hers. Harriet vane is she's really interesting as a as a woman in the 1930s in as the protagonist of a of a detective novel because that's not something that had been done a lot and she is allowed to have a lot of like typically like masculine coded, Mm -hmm. uh, character traits. Like she just, she is kind, can be kind of abrasive on people. Like she, she's not necessarily worried about, like she does, she does think about how she is perceived, but she's not necessarily, um, hiding things about herself to make her seem more likable or, or, or stuff like that. Um, so that, that's, that's interesting. And it does like the New Yorker article says, uh, paves the way for some of these later, uh, yeah. Sort of crime and detective novels. Yeah. Um, there's, I'll just, I'll read this quote from that, uh, New Yorker piece we talked about earlier, uh, yep. that just kind of sets up the, the book and, and Harriet and why she's important and why I did, did mostly enjoy the book. It's except for just, you know, the elements of it here or there, like just like bits about, bits about how it was structured. was just like, can we just solve this mystery? Like, can we, do I need to read about these people? Like punting down this river and like having a picnic and like being in love but not and just like circling each other endlessly like i was promised that you would solve this crime and it seems like maybe one of you has already so could you tell me who did it please?
1: sure sure
0: okay read the quote and then instead I of talking respond. about your nephew and his money problems for okay. like the sixth time Uh, Set at Oxford in the fictional Women's College of Shrewsbury, Gaudy Knight investigates a string of acts of vandalism and threatening letters sent to students and faculty. It's a romance as much as a mystery in which the cerebral Harriet comes to terms with possessing, quote, both a heart and a brain and accepts her feelings for her partner in crime solving, the droll and debonair Lord Peter Whimsey. The genteel atmosphere of Sayers' Oxford, where the key clue is a quotation from Virgil's Aeneid and where Peter and Harriet take a break from their case to go punting exists in a different universe from the eerie pageantry of Flynn's Missouri or the saturated dread of French's Dublin. Uh, that is reference to Gillian Flynn and Tana French. Uh, but Sayers' subjects cut close to the bone in her own day. As suspicion falls on Shrewsbury's female faculty, the quarry that Harriet calls the college poltergeist becomes a specter of the era's worst fears about educated professional women. In unmasking the culprit, Harriet and Thus sayers vindicates a woman's right to a life of the mind. Yeah, so that that's what's interesting about Harriet, and there are a lot of um, conversations in the, in the book about you know a lot of the women who are running this college like they they are not married, they don't have kids. Some of them, in fact, resent uh, wh- what they perceive as as um, lenient treatment like given to people who do have kids like there there is a i think a secretary to the dean or the the warden or something um who is raising a raising a kid on her own and the kid has like pneumonia and his dad died of tuberculosis so this this person is really worried and the uh the staff members like if they can't do their job like we just we gotta let them go like we can't let them hmm. just because they have a. it's kind of like how if you're a non-smoker you're like i want 15 minutes to go smoke yeah why do they get a break that <laughs> i don't get okay it's like that oh it's, <laughs> it's exactly like, like that okay Exactly like that but smoking is kid in this <laughs> in this comparison yeah um, there's that i mean there's, there's that, a, yeah, they're just they're just they're interesting conversations i thought yeah um, well it's
1: and i think that stuff is okay when we talked about coming into this episode like i think there was an you rightly picked up on like okay we're catching this series midstream we're encountering some characters that have history together um And yet, when I was doing research on this book to make sure we were, like, good to schedule it, it was like, oh, this is this, like, interesting early entry in detective fiction that features women. Um, It is this, like, turning point in the relationship between these two characters. So, and I saw this in the couple of, like, mid-range, mid-range Goodreads reviews. Um, Three where folks were like I dug it I liked some of the earlier ones more because they were like more like a mystery novel that I'm used to and but other people really dug the characterization or they you know in particular dug this like I'm where, digging. get a shovel yeah where, where do I book. where does Harriet kind of fit into society what kind of life is she able to lead um, and how does that refract back out you know with the people around her? so like mm-hmm. do you think some of your some of the parts you were bouncing off of that are maybe you know the genre trappings of books about British aristocracy would do you think some of that might have been mitigated if you had come into this book with any familiarity with the series or i mean, is-
0: i I certainly would have known more about what I was. Getting into. getting into, I think, yeah, <laughs> sure. like I, I, I think I can easily see if you are a fan of the series, picking up book ten, you are here for all the asides and the tangents and the breaks to, to like run into young men, who you then go on a date, mm-hmm. with, and they profess their love for you, but, and you're like, no, you silly boy, I am. 10 years older that I am in my thirties and you are in your twenties. Don't you see that this can never work? (laughs) (laughs) But, but because you think I'm attractive, it does make me think that maybe my, my main squeeze, uh, Lord Peter whimsy isn't lying when he says he thinks I'm attractive.
1: Yeah. And (laughs) that's the whimsy thing for, I was, I found an article on the toast by Mo Moulton, um, on Harriet, Harriet Vane and Peter Whimsey, an essay with personal interruptions uh, that talks about like because Peter saved Harriet's life, their relationship is imbalanced at least from her perspective because like she owes her li- like she can the relationship escape the fact that she might be in gratitude for him in debt to him forever like mm-hmm. um, rather than a. Like, oh, Mario saved the princess. And then they just, like, run off and just, like, hang out. And she makes a cake and he eats it. It's cool. But, like, what if she kind of resented having to be saved in the first w- place? Or, like, how do you navigate that dynamic in a long-term relationship together? Um, seems to be what this is up to a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
0: and the most interesting stuff on the relationship end is how how much she wants to be, like perceived by him as an equal to him. Ah, okay. Um, So when he, you know, he asks her to marry him all the time and she's always turning him down, I think for part, at least partly for that reason that you just brought up. Um, But in a letter to her at one point where she is referring sort of obliquely to the stuff that's going on and that is getting a little more intense, Um, he says something about like, you know, I'm not gonna try and dissuade you from doing dangerous things because I like you're equipped for it. Mm. But I'm, and I'm paraphrasing. But yeah, she, she is really happy about that because he's not trying to be all like manly man, Russian, be chivalrous about it. He is <laughs> sure, acknowledging her skills and her uh, strength, and just you know telling her to you know be careful but you know you're going to do what you want to do and that's fine yeah the the molten article i imagine for 1930 something in a lot of different contexts felt pretty revolutionary (laughs) yes um the molten
1: article also talks um just about the relationship and what mo found compelling about it um having read the books over time um in the slowly unfolding dynamic between harriet vane and whimsy uh molten writes i found a representation not of a queer relationship exactly but one in which the partners don't take their gender roles for granted and must therefore work out for themselves how to love in an ethical fashion um which seems to be a little bit of the like pushing against gender essentialism that sayers is up to mm-hmm. um even though it's set at an all womens college which actually invites doing that perhaps
0: and I also I said this in Slack, and you said that it was a good vocab word. <laughs> <laughs> These two have some kind of sapiosexual, like just their brains are attracted to each other. Love thing it. going on where they're both just like sitting and being very smart and like doing a lot of Shakespeare quotes at each other. <laughs> some yeah, smart people like to be smart
1: together sometimes they're
0: very very little uh reference to them wanting to like they do like harriet will look at lord peter whimsy and appreciate the way that he looks and the way his hands are and stuff but that happens like three times in this whole book and it's a long (laughs) book and mostly it's just like wow with brains he's so smart and he gets me and i get him and brains hey yeah we love that we all we know all this stuff and we're so smart. Hey, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, I you were trying to come up with like a jokey riff on that, and yeah, you couldn't, so you I just al- said the regular. <laughs> I almost said different folds for
1: different olds. Ew. like brain That's folds, grown, no, like
0: brain wrinkles. Yeah.
1: We can go back to talking about the book now if different, you want.
0: Different thoughts for different thoughts. Yeah, you know there I mean? it is. C O H T. Yes. Yeah, good one. We no, got there. No, it was bad, but we're going to So gonna move she
1: on. she broke glass in case of whimsy and he is now going to help
0: her solve this thing. Yeah, no, well, he he basically comes over and reads her notes and is like, "I know who did it." <laughs> so it's not it's not that uh is he very is debonair and like, ooh? Or is he gruff? Like, he's. He is unknowable in some ways. Ah, cool. And Love he's it. He's like, sometimes you see him deal with his rapscallion of a nephew who's off like wrecking cars and <laughs> okay. spending and like spending his inheritance, and he has to be like stern with them. But you, mm. you could tell he's a, a fine guy underneath all of it. He yeah has those defenses that we talked about before we did talk about those people yeah, he doesn't really let a lot of people get close to him, but he seems basically like a fine fine dude, okay, um I don't know like I so the one of the people who worked at the college did it. you'd talk to her like three times, and all of the three times it is very clear that she has super specific ideas on what women should be doing and what they should want to do and how maybe women who have too much book learning are a little too stuck up for their own taste. Like I highlighted like halfway through that this character did it and (laughs) then she ended up having done it. And that, that is more from me having experienced many, many different like versions of, of this story where it's not about and you get this a little bit when when Harriet describes some of her own writing it's it's not like the intricate puzzle box yes. thing like mystery thing that I think Sayers often is is doing in in her work it's more of a we've talked to this character like several times and I know way too much about her relative to the amount that the book wants me to think that she did it. And so it's probably her.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Like yep. yeah. And well, and I guess sometimes and and this can vary by reader, like that can feel satisfying to mm. to have figured it out and feel like you're a little ahead of the book. You're being your own little Sir Whimsy um, or you are like, meh, one person uh, for Goodreads, I want to make sure I, I cite them because I like this turn of phrase. Um, Chris said, my initial impression, this is a four-star review, my initial impression is that I did not put down the book completely satisfied with the thing, not disappointed, but not fulfilled, merely wetted.
0: Like, okay.
1: like you wet a stone. No, I understand. Okay. <laughs> There were many things I enjoyed and some things I did not, but the overall sensation was not fizzling, exuberant joy. Um, It sounds like you liked the characters maybe more than the trappings.
0: Yeah, like, and she's not, she is sometimes a bit of a chore just when she's like judging people based on what they look like and then also on how smart she perceives them to be. Like, there's a lot (laughs) of that, especially in the early part of the book where she's just, just like, not a fun hang. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> um but what she is is doing in her like place in the in the literary pantheon is interesting. Um the I mean it took forever to get get there, but the the what the person who did the crime says in her tearful confession about all the crimes that she did what she says about how women should really be homemakers and it's really awful of of educated women to be out here making it harder for men by taking their jobs like that certainly has something to say about yeah attitudes in uh-huh. our own yes. day and age yeah that i and think are worth unpacking a little bit but yeah i think well and that's probably
1: it's, hmm i mean that's that seems to be in a lot of the the literature I was reading on this thing—it's like it's the, it's the Harriet and Peter relationship, and it is building a mystery that is actually like wrapped around the theme of, uh, like women's life and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. gender mm-hmm. politics and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, as opposed to someone got murdered, we got to figure it out.
0: Yeah. So I mean that's that's pretty much the the book. When whenever we cover books like this, especially if they're uh, pretty long, I I feel like we always get a little bit of static for not like covering every person's individual favorite scene sure, that happen sure. throughout the entire length of the book. Are there any
1: notable ones that you just want to like say were kind of interesting? I kind I tried to get a list of some of the crimes that oh from you there's earlier. um
0: so there's and and this is. There are a couple of of bits in this book that sort of come out of nowhere and are just like a little too like neatly constructed, but I thought this was at least it it it, create, it paints a mind picture in your brain whole. Okay. Um. Yeah. Harriet is she she periodically well, when she's in town stops to admire this very intricately made chess set. Like a, I don't know if it's a consignment store or what it is, but it's it's a very pretty, expensive chess set that she really likes the look of, but in no way can, like justify buying Mm -hmm. for herself as a purchase, and um, so uh, when at some point. It, when she and Peter are talking to each other, and they're sort of circling whether they're going to or not, and you know she hasn't taken anything from him because she already feels like he's given her the ultimate thing, which is her life, and it's be- it's become this big thing where she just refuses everything that he's ever tried to give her. Since then, he she lets him buy her this chess set. Mm. And it's very nice. And everybody at the college really enjoys looking at it. And then someone smashes it to pieces. Oh, no. And it's like one last big red herring before the next red herring before (laughs) you figure out who actually did the crime. (laughs) Okay. That's fun, though. But the the description of the way the, the chess set looks and also the description of how absolutely livid that harriet is when she finds that somebody smashed it (laughs) i i thought that was that was fun stuff to read all right cool and a a
1: fun way to turn a relationship character moment into a red herring for the mystery itself and it's
0: it's like a it's one of those it's not quite like a don quixote wind windmill, windmill thing but it is like if if you are a fan of this book and you're thinking mm. about like set pieces it's a memorable it's set one of them. Piece, i guess sure yeah. cool
1: well thanks for telling me about this book andrew you're welcome i appreciate it um as I we
0: solved the mystery of the f- filling an hour with talking <laughs> yeah um we did together talk... with my partner lord craig getting whimsy <laughs> that's, that's on my uh,
1: driver's license It just says I wrote it in marker at the end I wrote whimsy, whimsy. Yeah mm-hmm. um, We did talk a little bit about At the top um, Joe Walton's Farthing I mentioned that Go back and find our episode I don't remember what episode number that was But go back and Just
0: a couple months ago yeah, it was relatively recently. Long um yeah.
1: So if you're thinking about digging into Sayers But maybe Or you've bounced off some early novels Maybe go check Walton out as well
0: And um, Farthing's a uh an easier it's a shorter read and i think it's a little bit easier to read because there's less uh there there are just fewer diversions like it's trying to be oh, fewer sure. different kinds of of book and so yeah. it might uh, it might read a little bit better for a modern reader i think cool
1: um thanks Webb. write us an email right that's the thing you do. Write Thanks, us an email. email. Thanks, email. You could send us one at OverduePod at GMO.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at OverduePod. Thanks to folks reaching out to us this past week. A lot of folks uh, shared your opinions on Pepsi, Andrew. Our opinions on Pepsi, actually.
0: It's not always a guarantee. Sometimes you, Every once in a while, you'll get a Pepsi person coming out swinging and... Yeah, there was. I there. admire the strength of their conviction.
1: Well, let's just say that <laughs> <if> I
0: disagree <laughs> with you, sir, but I'll defend to the, my death your right to say it. Voltaire
1: did say that about uh, about Pepsi. Was that Voltaire, <laughs> Lord Acton? Who knows anymore? Um, thanks to Bog, Starfish, Jake, Kate, Amma, Beetlewonky, Kayla, Rhoda, Carolann, Holly, Ad, Anthony, and many more um, for. Hitting us up on social media this week It's a fun way to stay in touch with you Thanks to Nick Laranjus Who composed our theme song Andrew if folks want to know more about the show Where should they go?
0: Go to overduepodcast.com That's our internet website We have an Apple podcast link We have a Google link We have an RSS link We're on Spotify and Stitcher And wherever you get fine podcasts Up on that website You can find links to the books that we have read And are going to read Click those They go to bookshop.org You can get the book We get a cut And your local independent bookstore gets cut Yep And then, as we also mentioned at the top of the episode, this was a Patreon recommendation. We have a link to our Patreon project on our homepage. It's also at patreon.com slash overdue pod. There's a tier where you can recommend a book for us to read that we will add to our list. The lead time on that is usually somewhere in the 12 to 18 month range, but we do get to them. Yeah. And I am always pleasantly surprised when the people email to be like thanks for getting to my book and like not only are they not mad but they also are still listening to this
1: yeah it's show. really nice
0: i mean maybe that's a good scam on our part It's just a, maybe this week will be yours keep on keep on listening just to find out
1: keep on scratching just as to- uh, the second most famous groundhog in Pennsylvania says about the lottery <laughs>
0: thought they were the same groundhog his um, name
1: is gus he stinks he wears gus shirts it's very weird I don't, I don't like know. him at all okay let's get out of here i'm reading nancy drew next week tune back in it be fun
0: yeah the original the original 1930s non-doctored nancy Un- drew God, God. unvarnished uncut <laughs> nancy drew director's cut okay everybody thanks for listening to our podcast For another week and until we talk to you next time, try to be happy.
1: The HeadGum Podcast.